0: Once upon a time there were three bears.
1: Hello and welcome back to the Salty Talks podcast. I'm Corinne Newfie, the communications specialist with the Aquaculture Research Institute. And today I'm joined by Dana Morse from Maine Sea Grant. Um, Dana, will you please describe your background a little bit and also your role at Maine Sea Grant?
0: Uh, Sure, and uh, thanks for having me. Um, My background is a little varied. My undergraduate was in wildlife management from University of New Hampshire and I worked in the wildlife field for a few years. Um, my graduate degree is in fishing gear technology from the University of Rhode Island. And after I got done my grad school, I did a variety of things. I fished a little commercially, worked for the state of Massachusetts, worked for the National Marine Fisheries Service, sold aquaculture gear, uh, cut fish in a fish packing plant, worked on an oyster farm. Um, and none of those jobs were things that I saw really had a future for me or they may have been a really good job, but it was only for a certain duration. Um, and so I kept looking, and in 1998 I got lucky enough to get hired into this job. And my work since then has been in Extension, which is a kind of a funny mix of education, outreach, applied research, and technology transfer. I totally love my job, and most of my work over the last 15 years or so has been in shellfish production.
1: Kind of like a jack-of-all-trades. And- Sounds like you get to do a lot of different stuff in your current job.
0: We do, which I really like. Um, So, for example, um, through some of the work in scallop production, we made a link with an equipment producer in Japan who, and their company also produces equipment for squid fishing. And so, in service to him, I've been asking some colleagues about the potential for a squid fishery here in Maine. and the potential for a different kind of fishing equipment to access that resource. So it kind of puts me back in commercial fishing stuff, which is exciting. So these sorts of weird opportunities, or or this variety of opportunities perhaps, comes up pretty regularly in Extension, which I very much enjoy.
1: Squid fishery in Maine would be super cool. Um, I love squid. <laughs> okay, so you mentioned scallops. Scallops. Dana's for sure cringing at my pronunciation right now uh, because I'm from the West Coast and that is how I learned to pronounce it. Scallops. (laughs) Um, Yeah, okay. Scallops, uh, which is, I think, maybe one of the less thought about shellfish when it comes to aquaculture in Maine. So scallops (laughs) have been harvested and picked by divers in Maine for quite a while, but in more recent decades with climate change and other threats, um, farming sea scallops offers an opportunity to diversify a gap within um, the seafood sector. Mm -hmm. So is scallop farming unique to Maine or is it going on in other states as well?
0: Um, The aquaculture industry for sea scallops right now is pretty much unique to Maine. The species that we have in our region, uh, the giant sea scallop or Atlantic sea scallop is Placopectin Magellanicus and it's different than the bay scallop that some people think about. Um, Placopectin is much bigger, um, the shell looks completely different, um, and there's a whole variety of characteristics that are different than the bay scallop. And it's a pretty temperate species. It, it can definitely get too warm for good healthy conditions for scallops. And although there have been efforts Certainly in Maine, going back at least to the 90s, actually more like to the 70s at least, there have been a little bit of work done in New Hampshire and a fair bit going back a number of decades in Massachusetts. Right now, Maine is the only place in the country that's focusing on sea scallop production through farming at the moment.
1: Before getting into the nuances of all the scallop farming, I think it's a little bit easier to kind of imagine how oysters are grown, but can you briefly describe the process of farming scallops?
0: Sure. Um, And I will say that almost all of the techniques that we're using are adapted from Asian techniques, mostly Japanese, some Chinese. um, And we've learned a ton from uh, the Canadians and from Western Europe as well. But basically the production system starts with, you have to have seed stock. So right now we don't have hatcheries for scallops in the way that we do for oysters. So that means we have to source juvenile scalps from the wad so it becomes kind of a fishing activity and you set out uh, a thing called a spat collector Uh, it's about the size of a pillow that might be on your bed and it's a it's a mesh bag and it's got very small openings in it and it's got some plastic mesh on the inside and the larvae which are floating in the water and they're maybe 200 microns in size so two tenths of a millimeter they're pretty small they float in through the outside mesh of the bag, they encounter the inner mesh, and that's where they settle. And they uh, lose their ability to, to swim as larvae, they grow uh, a shell, or a different kind of shell, and then you capture them. And in one of these pillowcase-sized bags, normally in the past, we've been getting between, say, one and 3,000 scalps, which is a pretty good number. Um, and I'll I'll say here too that it took fishermen back in around 1999 and 2000 when we started doing this work. It took fishermen exactly two years to get good at collecting scallops. Gosh. So yeah, it's really neat. If you want to learn how to catch something in the ocean, trust a fisherman because they know how to do their stuff. So uh, more recently some work at Hurricane Island um, and Maine Center for Coastal Fisheries, MCCF. Mm -hmm. MCCF and Hurricane Island have been leading some work and recently they have found sites along the coast of Maine that have given them 40,000 small scallops in something the size of a pillowcase. Um, So it says a lot about the distribution of larvae and all that kind of stuff. So you start with catching babies, basically um you set out your spat collectors in september and they stay out all winter long and then the farmer or the fisherman will retrieve those usually march april may june time at which point the seed are about two millimeters to maybe 10 millimeters and from there small scabs are raised in either a a, say something like a bottom cage um, maybe a thing called a pearl net or a lantern net And then later on, as they grow a little bit bigger, say two inches and above, there's a relatively new technique being used here in Maine called ear hanging. And and that's where you take an animal of, say, two inches above, you drill a little hole in the shell, and you hang it on a plastic pin uh, in the water. So those are kind of the major steps. You have seed production. Then you have a nursery step where you've got these little tiny baby scallops and you have to take care of them until they grow a little bit. And then you have the grow-out segment, which is where you've got this different uh, suite of gear
1: types. So these scallops that are being grown are then being sold to consumers. Mm-hmm. What is the scallop market like in the U.S. right it's now? It's
0: huge. <laughs> um, scallop fishermen and the biggest scallop fishery um Actually, I think it is either the first or the second most valuable fishery in the United States, which is the scallop fishery. It's mostly offshore. It's centered in New Bedford and Fairhaven and a little bit to the south there. So all of those wild scallops that we collect or catch in our federal fishery are worth between four and six hundred million dollars annually. And then the United States, because we like to eat scallops here, we import another, say, 250 to $400 million worth of scallops. So the scallop market in the United States approaches a billion dollars a year.
1: Where are they being imported from?
0: Japan, China, South America, a little bit from Europe, some from Canada.
1: Farming of scallops seems to be a little bit trickier than farming other shellfish, Mm. um, to my understanding. They're more... um, I don't know if sensitive is the right word, and they need a lower stocking density, but despite that, there's definitely what it sounds like a high market demand for scallops in the U.S. And um, I think I read, maybe it was in one of the papers you sent me, that people would be willing to pay a, a premium for domestic products, right? Which is where some of your research comes in, trying to improve... Scallop growth and survival as well as looking into ways to maximize profitability.
0: Yep. Yeah, all of the above.
1: Okay. Um which I want to touch on but before we get into main scallops, we should take a little trip to Japan. So Let's go. <laughs> I wish
0: The power of radio with the podcast.
1: Yeah, teleportation. Someone needs to Get on that. Um, so you've been to Japan a couple of times learn about scallop culture. And something I found really neat while reading through some of the papers you sent me, the story about how Maine came to have a sister state relationship with Aomori Prefecture. Yes, nice. Do you want to give a quick little history lesson about that?
0: Uh, sure, as best I can. So um, there were a lot of wooden ships built in Maine over the years. One of these was a boat called the Chesbro, I think four-masted schooner. Uh, built in Bath, and I think the year was 1887, or thereabouts. Oof,
1: 1889.
0: 1889? 1889, oh, so close. Fail. Um, it wrecked off the coast of Valmory Prefecture. And I think the crew was about 19, and of those, four survived. And they survived in large part because the people who were on the shore saved them. And the intervening part here is fuzzy to me. But that experience of saving lives and connecting Maine and Aomori was part of what eventually led to a formalized relationship between the state of Maine and the prefecture of Aomori, and a prefecture is essentially a state in Japan, or it's analogous to a state here. And there is a Maine Aomori Sister State Advisory Council, for example, and they meet regularly. And there are groups that go back and forth uh, between Maine and Aomori on all kinds of different things. Um, of course, my end of things has been scallops and, and commercial fishing and aquaculture stuff. Uh, but it's been a very interesting and enduring relationship over the years.
1: Did you know that a relay race also resulted from that? That happens every August. Yeah, it's a swimming (laughs) and running race, and it's called the the Chesborough Cup, or whatever the name of the ship was. Cool. Yeah.
0: Where does that happen?
1: In Japan, I think. Really? Yeah.
0: That's awesome.
1: Yeah, you should fact check me on that, but I think I I read that.
0: I will say that um, there is at least one plaque that I've seen there dedicated to the Chesborough. I think that's right. I think I'm having a a real recollection there, which was sort of odd to be in a place so distant from Maine and then have that sort of thing be present.
1: And if I remember early on, they were using um, onion bags and cedar branches to... Collect scallop spout, which is pretty interesting. Um, and kind of now, obviously, with more technological advances, that's not how we do it anymore. But this is pretty similar to totally. like pearl nets or lantern nets that we're using now.
0: Um, and just to back up for a sec, I think it was again a fisherman, 1953, started setting out those cedar branches and noticing that little scallops collected on the branches. And then the notion of an outer bag kind of followed that so that. The newly settled scallops didn't just swim away. Because those of you listening at home, scalps are really good swimmers. Um, and so they wanted to retain all the larvae that settled on these branches. Yeah, so pearl nets and lantern nets are two really well-established gear types. Um, and a pearl net uh, is about, say, 13 or 14 inches square. And if you picture, say, <laughs> Say, one of the great pyramids, if it had a foundation underneath it. So so it had, like, straight walls down on at, at the base of it, um, like, a, like a pyramid sitting on a little box. That's kind of what a lantern net is. It has a little boxy bottom part, but then the top of it, and I'm using my hands where no one can see me on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> um, it has a peak to it like a pyramid. So, uh, and it has a string, a small rope that comes out of the apex of the pyramid and from the center of the boxy place on the bottom so that you can tie one above the other. And I think that's how it got its name, because if you have 50 of these in a string, they kind of look like a string of pearls, roughly. The other plausible explanation that I heard was that these were used for pearl oysters. Um, And so they call them pearl oyster nets. So I don't know exactly which is which I've heard both. And so a pearl net um, has an opening in one of the sort of the top sides of the pyramid. So you can put in scallops and take out scallops. And you usually tie these into strings of, I don't know, 30 or 50 or 100. And they'll just hang from a a rope in the water. Um, And they turn out to be very good environments to grow small scallops. Uh, And scallops don't like to bounce around. Um, They don't like to be jostled. They don't like to be crowded either. So a pearl net gives them a nice stable platform to grow. So basically they're happy and and they'll grow better. A lantern net, I guess normally I'd say they look kind of like a Chinese lantern, which is kind of like a cylinder. Well, it is a cylinder. Um, And then horizontally it might have floors. So if you take a cylinder that's 10 feet tall, every foot you might have a horizontal piece of twine or a floor. So you might have 10 different compartments in this cylinder. And so each of those compartments is surrounded by the mesh of the cylinder and you put your scallops in each one. So now you're lifting up this Chinese lantern looking kind of thing. Uh, and, um,
1: <laughs> he's holding up his fist yeah. <laughs> for those of you that are not here with us, yeah. which is all of you. Yeah, all
0: of them, <laughs> um, And, That also turns out to be a nice stable platform. And neither pearl nets nor lantern nets are particularly efficient to use. They take a lot of labor. They get fouled quickly with kelp or algae or tunicates. So they take a lot of care, Um, but scallops seem to be happy in them. So, uh, and they're relatively inexpensive to purchase. So that's why a lot of people use them.
1: Um, You mentioned that scallops, I think I've been using scallop and scallop interchangeably maybe. <laughs> scallops don't like crowding, so when they're in pearl nets or lantern nets, how many are in each, I guess, in each pearl net or within the lantern nets, each like level of the lantern net?
0: Yeah, good question. So um, if we're thinking about a pearl net, those are, I think, 13 inches square on the bottom. So if you've got a box that's 13 inches square, when the scallops are small, five millimeters or so you might have 200 in that pearl net and then as they grow it's the job of the farmer to thin them out and by the time they become two inches or so you might have 15 in one of those maybe 20. so they get pretty
1: a lot less than i would have expected because to put that into perspective when you're farming oysters you can have like hundreds of oysters in a bag or in a cage Yeah um wow 15 yeah um
0: it's it's not much and the um you're exactly right you can put uh, a lot of oysters into a container so if you completely cover the bottom of a container with oysters you can still get good survival and growth with scallops usually it's talked about in the framework of bottom coverage so if you've got a pearl net and it's got a certain Uh, number of square inches for the floor of that net, if you count each scallop as a circle, you can calculate how much surface area they cover and really only 20 to 30% of the bottom available to you should be covered with a scallop. So there's much more free space than there is scallop. So
1: Is that because of um, resource competition, like the nutrients in the water and too many scallops overcrowding it, then not enough uh, are getting... The proper nutrition that they need?
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, and if they're robbing nutrition from one another, then they don't have those food resources to grow. And the other thing is, with scallops being so mobile, if they don't like where they are, and I'm kind of speaking in human terms, but if they're the conditions for oxygen or food are not right, they can get up and leave down if they want to. So I would do that. Yeah. <laughs> and so what happens is... Um, As a scallop starts to clap around in the net, they'll encounter another scallop, and they do what's called knifing or biting or clasping on one another. And and so the the shells might meet, they they might clasp uh, on one another, and the edges of the shells are really sharp. So if I'm a scallop and I've got my mouth open, as it were, and another scallop... Comes along and swims, and that shell kind of gets into my mouth. That oh. can damage my tissue, my yeah. mantle, adductor muscle, or it can kind of chip off a bunch of my shell, all of which slows growth and increases uh, mortality.
1: Have you seen those um, elephant seals in California? They're like huge, and yes. they just like, <laughs> like that's like, kind of what I just started picturing. Yeah. With these like dueling scallops, which is totally not. really that close but it's kind of a funny image yeah i like that (laughs) um okay so going back to learning culture methods from japan you mentioned ear hanging which was the drilling holes in the scallops and then scallops and they're kind of like strung along on a string is that something that's happening here in maine also
0: it is probably started in about 2017 or so In 2016, a colleague and a friend of mine named Hugh Copperthwaite, who works over at Coastal Enterprises, put together a really pivotal tech transfer trip to Japan. And that's where, certainly, I first got uh, a good look at ear hanging, and a number of fishermen and farmers came along on this. Uh, Again, Hugh and and Donna Hudson, who was at Chewonki at the time, they put this trip together and it just changed everything. And so, coming back from that trip, there was a small number of growers that started to experiment with ear hanging. And it has turned into something that is promising success. I think people are feeling pretty optimistic about it, but it's not for everyone. It will not work in all cases. And what it is, is, uh, and I'll try to describe this. Um, First of all, you have to picture a rope just hanging straight up and down in the water. And from the rope at intervals of probably six inches or so, there's a little plastic pin, maybe three inches long and the pin is inserted through the rope so that half of each part of the pin sticks out from either side of the rope. The pin is now horizontal where the rope is vertical. On either end of the pin, there's a little barb. And what you do is you drill a small hole around the hinge of the scallop and you put it on the barb of the pin. And that means that you have a vertical rope and you've got pairs of scallops kind of hanging like earrings up and down this rope and the rope might be 50 feet uh, and you might have 200 scallops or 100 pairs of scallops hanging on this and the scallops each have good access to food they're not clasping on one another Um, they have a stable surface to hang from and so it's a pretty good method and yeah it's been it's been experimented with here for what are we going on six years or so seven years
1: is biofouling or like predation problems, since it doesn't sound like they're in any sort of net or protection.
0: Yeah. Predation, not so much of an issue. Sometimes you get a starfish set, but usually it takes a while for the starfish to grow big enough for them to eat the scallops that are hanging from these strings, because you can't really hang a scallop until it's about two inches shell height. Predation is not an issue unless your flotation in your lines is bad and your dropper lines hit the bottom, in which case the green crabs will run up there, the starfish will run up there, and they will eat all your scallops. That will definitely happen. We've been lucky, well, maybe it's not luck, but it's a good thing that eider ducks or other diving ducks do not eat uh, earhung hung scallops, or at least they haven't so far, and they've had plenty of opportunity. So biofouling is definitely an issue. Uh, everything will grow on these scallops and the lines, so you do have to manage that, but uh, predation, If you're doing your job right as a farmer it shouldn't be too much of an issue
1: and then is is the point of ear hanging well i guess there's probably a few points of ear hanging but is one of them to reduce labor costs so you're Mm -hmm. not constantly dragging nets in and out of the water and thinning out the scallops
0: that's exactly right yeah the machinery that's been developed uh, is pretty specialized for this uh, method of growing scallops But it does a really good job of cleaning off the biofouling like mussels to some degree a little bit barnacles a lot of tunicates or uh, different kinds of algae will grow in there and the machinery some of which we do have here in maine does a really good job
1: so these scallops once they are grown to an appropriate size um, which to my understanding can vary right you can sell them at yeah smaller or larger sizes Uh, When I think about scallops, I think of, I think what most people are picturing, like a circular piece of meat that's either raw or grilled or seared, however you want it, um, which is not the entire animal. It's just the the shucked portion Mm -hmm. of it. So are we in the U.S. selling whole scallops? uh, And is there a market for it like there is in um, Japan or elsewhere?
0: Yeah. And that was a really good description. The answer is yes. There is a market for uh, a whole scallop uh, or other scallop products than just the the shucked meat, which is the adductor muscle of the of the scallop. And if you go to France, for example, uh, I have it on good authority. I've never been there. Um, I have been to France. You have been to France. Yeah. So let me ask you: Do you ever see a scallop in the market there that is not attached to the roe, for example, or do you can you can you buy just a scallop meat in France?
1: Oof. I don't remember. I can't remember huh. if I've been in a seafood market where I was looking at scallops in France.
0: Okay. Well, from what I've heard, the, the scallop cuisine in France is such that everybody eats it with the roe on, or at least it's always sold with the roe on. And the roe is the, the gonad, either male or female.
1: Is it kind of orange?
0: It can be orange uh, and white at the same time. They're hermaphroditic, that that species over there, so it's kind of half and half.
1: Okay, I think I have seen that. Oh, cool. Yeah.
0: There is a thing that I should say here though, and I'll try to be concise about it. Red tide and biotoxins is a huge issue. It's not an issue if you're just eating the meat. The adductor muscle doesn't really pick up those toxins, which come from algae, very much at all. So you can have red tide happening, out in the Gulf of Maine and the fishery can still happen because those adductor muscles will still be safe to eat. That's not the same uh, or that's not true of the other tissues, the mantle tissue, the gill, the digestive gland, sometimes the roe. Those can become very dangerous to eat, like they will put you on a ventilator or kill you. Gosh. So, yeah, so listeners should understand that the only time that you should ever eat a whole or live scallop is when it has come through an approved official process, if you will. For example, a reputable restaurant, a reputable retailer. Never, if if you're happening along to, I don't know, you catch a scallop at the end of your cod fishing line, a scallop kind of comes along and grabs your cod jig and you bring it up and you say, oh man, I'm going to eat this whole thing. Don't. (laughs) Because that could be a very bad idea. So, All of which brings me to say that scallop farmers are working closely with the Department of Marine Resources and this has been part of my work over the years to do the required testing needed so that the grower and the department and the consumer, frankly, everybody can understand the safety of the product. So anything coming through that process from Maine, through these farms and through uh, our retailers and outlets have been through this kind of process. But as a consumer, if you see whole scallops, you should absolutely ask where they come from, what the process was uh, to get them to that point, to the plate or to the retail counter, uh, because it's really important.
1: So is that um, like DMR and FDA and um, that sort of regulations and approval to sell whole scallops? Yeah.
0: Principal authority here is Department of Marine
1: Resources. Gotcha. So if I as a consumer wanted to eat a whole scallop, in Maine, where would I go?
0: Um, I will probably miss some of the retailers here, but Glidden Point Oyster Company, I think uh, Sopo Seafood, I think Island Creek might be uh, sourcing some of these as well. Those are the three groups that I can think of at the moment. The farms that are selling whole scallops that I know of at the moment are uh, Penn Bay Farm scallops. That's the Brewer family out of Stonington and Vertical Bay, which is Andrew and Samantha Peters, uh, and they are out of Belfast, although the farm for Vertical Bay is on the east side of the bay. So there are really only two producers in the United States right now that are putting live whole scallops on the market. And I should say here too, there are a couple of good things. First of all, our fishery for wild scallops goes from say December to March, or uh, maybe early April. So that's the only time that you can get fresh dayboat quality scallop adductor muscles. Farms have the benefit of being able to supply year round. Um, and also they can supply different sizes. So if you prefer kind of a petite scallop, maybe two inches in shell height, well, that's a great product right there. Or, maybe you'd rather have a three or a four inch scallop because you want to do things differently as a consumer or a chef, we can provide those different sizes as well. And I say we, it's really the, the industry doing the growing here.
1: I was at the Boston Seafood Show last yeah. week. Yeah. And I have, a, it was maybe I'm the jealous. biggest, it was so fun. Uh, <laughs> yeah. It was maybe the biggest scallop I have ever eaten in my entire life. This was like four or five inches. It was humongous oh and goodness. it was just raw and it was, so was good. That the,
0: that's not the adductor muscle. That was the, the scallop shell. No, just the muscle. Oh my
1: word. Yeah, it was like... <laughs> like I a have, burger. Yeah, it was literally like a burger. It was like close to baseball size. It was wow. ridiculous. It was so good. So I think in some of the papers that you sent me, I remember reading that also selling the whole product is better for making a profit than just the adductor muscle. So do you think that is sort of necessary for the scallop farming industry in Maine to continue and grow?
0: I don't know the answer to that question, but that's you're right on the money because that question about profitability is kind of playing out right these days. The Penn Bay Farm scallops and Vertical Bay to the best of my knowledge, are pursuing different models um, and they are both equally good. Penn Bay Farm Scallops, uh, the brewer family, focuses on whole live animals. I just ate some of those petites the other day at an event in Portland, they're just fabulous. On up to say three and a half or a four inch whole animal and they have clients who use those products in a whole variety of ways. Uh, Andrew and Samantha Peters are pursuing a business model where it's focused more on adductor muscles. And it's unclear to me. I have not asked them the details about their books, but um, I think both, both business models can be successful. Uh, and I hope they uh, are and profitable. The one thing that I would say is that nobody knows, certainly I don't know, how big the market for a whole live scallop is. Right now, Uh, the market is gobbling up everything that our producers can produce for whole scallops. There, There has been no steady supply of whole scallops so that we don't know. It's impossible to know how many tens or hundreds of thousands or millions of scallops we could put into the U.S. market or ship overseas. No clue. But we do have some sense of how big the adductor muscle market is. That was the nearly billion dollars that I was talking about earlier. So, when I think about business profitability and opportunities for other companies to come into the picture, if the business model to sell just meets and be profitable, if that pans out, we have an enormous opportunity here because the market is so huge.
1: So you were recently in Japan in December? January. January, um, And you, brought back Oh, I'd love to hear just some highlights of the trip overall but you brought back a couple of different scallop products and one thing you brought back that I thought was great was like they were like really chewy yeah yeah, what were those
0: I don't know what they're called Um, (laughs) they were great yeah I think they were and and I'm totally guessing here they were cooked and slightly dehydrated scallops and they came individually packed if this is the same thing they we talking about.
1: It's not, but also those were great. I was calling those pocket scallops. Yeah,
0: pocket scallops. Yeah. What was the other thing then?
1: They were like, it kind of sort of looked how dried squid looks um, when you buy it, and they were like sweeter, and uh, maybe it was like pieces of the mantle.
0: Ah, that was dried squid.
1: Oh, that was squid. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, the pocket scallops were great. Yeah. <laughs> the dried squid was also really good.
0: Yeah. Well, um, here we are talking back to squid because if we could develop a, a dried squid product here.
1: I would I be so stuff. for that. Yeah, that yeah. would be great. Um, but anyways, uh, what were some recent highlights of your most recent trip to Japan?
0: Yeah, there are a lot. The people are great. Um, so we got to see folks who we've met a few times, got to develop professional and personal relationships with. So it feels like going back to, well, it is going back to see friends and we get to talk a lot of shop. So the people that we met at the gear manufacturers and the scientists, all those folks was really were, and the fishermen were really nice to see again, kind of catch up and share some news. We saw some new machinery we saw some upgraded machinery, and those are of material benefit because that's just going to help us hopefully do our collective jobs better. You can't go there without eating just fabulous, beautifully presented food everywhere, just all over the place. That's
1: what I've heard from my dad every time he's been to Japan. Really? Yeah. yeah.
0: Like, uh, what's his favorite? Or what is he talking about?
1: He's a big uh, sashimi guy. Yeah. Um, also, really likes eel. Yeah.
0: <laughs> Okay, yeah. So the eating there is wonderful, the scenery is great, Uh, the scenery is spectacular. There is, I don't know, there's like a camaraderie now that we've gotten to know each other a little bit. Um, We have this shared interest in scallops and biology and business and trying to grow a better scallop and it's really nice to revisit that. Oh, and the other thing that I should say is that going to your average, let's call it an outdoor seafood market, of which there are a bunch you can see scallops in 411 different ways that we have absolutely <laughs> no idea that uh, could be done here. Dried mantles, fried mantles, tin scallops, dried scallops, freeze-dried scallops. We've had scallop ice cream. We've had scallop kind of like potato chips. There were Pringles. I have a, a couple of cans of little stubby cans of Pringles that are scallop flavored over there.
1: I'm intrigued by the scallop ice cream mm. and the Freeze dried scallops. Yeah. That could be great for like backpacking or something. Yes. Yes.
0: So mm-hmm. there are just this enormous spectrum of products that can be made with scallops that we have only just the faintiest foggy idea about because all we normally eat here is non seafood eating Americans generally is at the adductor muscle usually paired with bacon. <laughs> which is which is delicious. I love it. But there are also other delicious things to do with
1: scallops. This is maybe a bit of a hard question to answer, but what do you hope to see or what do you envision for the scallop farming industry in Maine moving forward in the future?
0: Uh, a bunch of things. First of all, I am, and again, I haven't asked them for their books, but I'm, I'm eagerly awaiting like, clear signals that the two farmers that we have who are selling whole products right now really have their financial feet under them. And I think that's happening as the old saying goes, when someone starts to pull up at the, at the dock with a new pickup truck, and the new pickup truck was bought with proceeds off the farm, people take notice, right? So if there are tangible outcomes that these farms are profitable, good going concerns, then I'm looking forward to others kind of joining the pack. And we probably have another 20 farms that have a few, maybe several thousand to a couple of tens of thousands of scallops on them. We only have a few farms maybe three that had in the hundreds of thousands of scallops on them. So that's kind of the, the range we're at right now, as opposed to millions of scallops on a farm in a typical Japanese arrangement. So I'm looking forward to more scallop producers. I'm looking forward to better understanding the life cycle of the scallop and how it interacts with oceanography helps us have both a better fishery and a farming industry, because I, what I really want is for us to produce more scallops. Some of them are going to be caught. Some of them are going to be grown. And what we can do is we can shout from the treetops, hilltops, rooftops, all <laughs> of them, tops, all of those <laughs> all tops, <the> tops. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. we can, we can really talk about this fabulous quality product that we have, whether you catch it or grow it. And we can do that uh, because we do. So I'm looking forward to more of that. And this work uh, that I mentioned earlier with the spat collectors, That is a really cool way to look at the links between where scallops originate as fertilized eggs, where they drift to or from, where they settle out, and understanding things like the role of oceanography on larval movements and all that kind of stuff. It's just a fabulous opportunity to inject some science in the air. And a lot of it is made possible just because of this new technique SPAC collectors. It's now 20 years old, but Twenty-five years ago, we didn't have this option to understand what was going on. Now we have this tool that allows us to peek into uh, into the secret lives of scallops uh, much more effectively. I'd say. Do you cook? I do.
1: So I must ask, what is your favorite way to cook scallops?
0: <laughs> the easy way, meaning get a pan really hot, put in a little oil, um, sear your scallops for I don't know two three minutes either side. Do not overcook your scallops
1: yeah an overcooked scallop is the worst it's so rubbery
0: yes it's a travesty it is. <laughs> your scallop should be kind of undercooked a little bit in the middle there put maybe a little salt and pepper on it and eat it <laughs> and if you are lucky enough to get some petite whole scallops steam them just like the way you would do for a, a mussel or a steam clam the scallop shell will open Um, You'll see at sort of the back of the shell towards the hinge, there's a little dark spot, and that's the digestive gland. I can recommend just kind of pulling that off, and then maybe you want to dip it in butter. Maybe you just want to eat it like that. Um, It is so good, just plain, without any kind of sauce on it. And then the best part, you take those two-inch scallops, and you keep the shells together, because they'll be nice and clean, and then you take some LED lights or something like this, and you make Christmas lights out of them.
1: That's awesome. They are beautiful. Oh, wow. I want to do that. Thanks for making the long trek up from your office. Dana's <laughs> office is like half a mile down the hill. I trudged way up here. You did. And those those look like nice hiking shoes that you've got on. <laughs> yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to talk about scallops <laughs> and Maine. Yeah, my pleasure, man.